Hi, I'm Harry in the lounge with the candlestick. Hi, I'm Rory in the conservatory with the revolver. And you're listening to Games on Film. have a conservatory do you well uh i should probably preempt this and say that i have just moved house um mm. but as far as i can tell i certainly don't have a conservatory and i don't have any secret passages at least that i have found just yet so maybe if i just um i don't know pull a hook in the uh, kitchen freezer or something i'll find my way into the conservatory i never knew i had Yes, you're going to test every coat hanger and book, (laughs) even books, even books and shelves that you've brought with you. You're going to test them to see if the shelf moves away from the water of your secret package to your flipping conservatory. (laughs) Can't wait. I I said lounge. And just before recording, we were talking about how um, in Cluedo there there isn't a lounge (laughs) or a a snug, I think you called it. Is there a A lounge? What do they call it, though? The living room, I think. I don't know. Maybe that's a British-American difference. Well, speaking of which, we are reviewing the film Clue today. Uh, but you, if you live anywhere outside North America, you'll know it as the adaptation of the board game Cluedo. We're doing board games, y'all. <laughs> as it's our third anniversary, we thought we'd treat ourselves. And usually, our anniversary episodes, we cover a Tomb Raider movie. And there would have been a Tomb Raider movie released at this time had the frickin' pandemic not disrupted absolutely really? everything. Yeah, I it's think not... it was originally scheduled for March 2021 when Ben Wheatley was still attached. I mean, they definitely didn't announce the sequel right away with Tomb Raider, did they? No. They waited like six months. Yeah. Um, but we tried to think of another film which has a lot of action taking place in a manner not too dissimilar to Croft Manor. Although like probably less thinking. bungee ropes. <laughs> I was just getting a Resident Evil vibe from this film. And I thought, imagine if the next Resident Evil movie is entirely set within this house and uh, Wadsworth, Tim Curry, the butler's running around saying, and down here in the secret lab. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the entire cast running around with some jaunty music following all over the place. But yes, this is a board game on film, our first. And we may, in fact, do some others. There are other board game and tabletop game adaptations i think coming eventually at some point well there's been battleship before that's true i think operation might lend itself to some sort of medical horror in fact have you seen the film uh, the autopsy of jane doe i have not but i am aware of it it's very very good but um you could always view as it view it as a, a horror remake of operation <laughs> um but yes, what what other board games are in the making? I'm trying to think. There's been the off-threatened Monopoly movie, which I think even Ridley Scott was attached to at one point. But then he used he used the script for Alien Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to make a few minor adjustments. 
actually in Prometheus, a guy Pierce, he used to have a monocle and top hat, but that was nixed. <laughs> they turned it into an alien prequel. And Michael Fassbender was going to play a small Scotty dog. Off only. Who would play the shoe? I think it was uh, Shoe Lees Theron. Oh, very good. Shoelace Theron. That's better. <laughs> Shoelace Theron. That's what I'm going to call her now. When I meet her. <laughs> it is nice to do a film we're sort of we're not bored of video game movies <laughs> stress <laughs> after three years but you know let's just we we've, we thought when are we gonna do when we're gonna open open uh i don't know where i'm going it's the box the remit the look to the horizon i don't know i just wanted to do a film with like good actors in it for a change <laughs> <laughs> and uh here we are celebrating three years of games and film with clue but uh, i guess before we talk about the film itself um, so it's been it's been a year since our second anniversary, and in that time, um, we've done less movies because of we had one or two breaks due to this, that, and the other. But uh, looking through your our reviews and our films experience in the last year, do any uh, stick out to you? Any any highlights? Well, I suppose um, there are two films which were kind of interesting surprises um, because. I think going into Postal from Uwe Boll, I was expecting the worst. And in many respects, I got the worst, but it was actually quite interesting. And I found it a bit more amusing and thought provoking than I could ever possibly have imagined it to be. It did seem like a perfect match of director and content for a change. I mean, I'm not saying the House of the Dead video game franchise is high art or anything, but it just didn't feel like I got my House of the Dead movie with that film. But with Postal, having experienced the games and the film, it, it does seem it does seem to be a fit. So yes, Rory, you're recommending a Uwe Boll film. <laughs> that is not what I'm doing. I'm just saying <laughs> that is a surprise to me um, from what we watched in the past year. Um, I guess the other big surprise for me was Dragon Quest, your story, as someone who had no real uh, grasp of the game and the franchise beyond knowing it's just mega, mega successful and it's got a bunch of blue slimes in it. Um, I was surprised how uh, touching and thought-provoking and interesting and enjoyable and entertaining uh, that film was, despite seemingly alienating fans um left right and center yes the the character designs of the film were controversial and in fact the ending was quite controversial i won't go into the ending you gotta to listen to our episode for the spoilery ending but i myself thought it looked gorgeous and i did like the questing and also the multi-generational story <laughs> um so yeah good choice that was on my list uh, in my in my top five films of the year, in no particular order, I had that, but also Dead Rising Watchtower, mm -hmm. the zombie epic from we did in October, I think. And yeah, that was, that was very low expectation wise, but it was trying to do some smart things. And it was also just having a good goddamn time. And <laughs> I gelled with that. And um, 
also having a good time. Last episode, we did Max Cloud. I still am standing that. I know I liked it a lot more than you, but I'm still on that Max Cloud high. Um, but ask me in a year. Maybe I've completely <laughs> forgotten about it. Max Cloud 9. <laughs> I am on Max Cloud 9. I get it. I get it. <laughs> the eighth and... sequel to the Intergalactic Adventures of Max Cloud. I know. That's what my brain did. We could only make nine Max Cloud sequels. I mean, I liked it, but... <laughs> <laughs> and you know and there are other two films in my top five they kind of they got in by default i got scott pilgrim versus the world and tron legacy which are kind of films people have heard of <laughs> <laughs> and you know i i like them you know i think if you go back and listen to our episodes i think we're a slightly more critical on scott pilgrim than many people but i still ultimately really enjoyed it so that's what i say on that subject yeah i just add a quick shout out as well to silent hill in terms of video game movies i watched previously and we're looking forward to covering and still think hold up pretty well um so i think that's still top tier video game movie adaptation for me looking ahead i mean there's it sounds like we're repeating ourselves but mortal Kombat is coming resident evil is coming and although there is a lot of affection, perhaps for from some quarters from the earlier movies, I don't think anyone is like clutching their pearls and saying you can't possibly remake Resident Evil or Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I think I think enough time has passed, you know. Yeah, enough time has passed. Looking forward to it, but I'm also looking forward to Free Guy because I guess much in the same way that Max Cloud celebrates video games in general, Free Guy seems to be something along those lines it's about video games rather than a game so you know again that was supposed to come out it didn't so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm sort of intrigued as well by the tetris movie which has just finished shooting and i was sort of unaware this was even taking place but uh it follows the um legal tangles and battles about the release of tetris and there was some good documentary about it a few years ago on bbc and this um has taron edgerton um playing okay uh playing uh the head of bulletproof software i believe who released and secured the rights to tetris and the game boy i think um but it's one of those strange stories which involves uh soviet russia yeah soviet russia it goes all the way up to the sort of uh gorbachev and um all kinds of legal dealings and you know boardroom battles there's that bit where david hasselhoff gets a long block and slides it into the berlin wall and it completely disappears (laughs) i think that's what happened (laughs) i think so uh, of course, when you say Tetris movie, I thought it was like a plot about, you know, an adaptation of the game Tetris. But yes, the story of the making of Tetris is fascinating. So that sounds, that's that's at the top of my list. Fuck free guy. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. But speaking of Ryan Reynolds, actually, and that brings us back to today's movie, um, because while this original Clue movie uh, released in 1985 um, was met by some critical and commercial failure. It didn't do very well at the box office, but it has developed a significant cult following since. And there have been talks recently in the past year or so 
of a reboot or new adaptation of the board game with Ryan Reynolds uh, producing, potentially starring with the writers of Deadpool um, doing the adaptation. And I believe James Bobin, who did the Muppets uh, mm. recent movies, as well as I think Helming episodes of Flight of the Concords um, mm-hmm. involved as well. But there hasn't really been any move on that front since so maybe in future we'll do a, another clue episode yes i heard there was no i didn't hear from anything no one was reading the internet out loud to me i read that there was a remake happening and i did clutch my pearls then because this is very much beloved to me uh from my childhood and because i was a stupid child i still didn't i didn't quite get that this definitely definitely was a remake of the board game or an adaptation of the board game because it's like why is it called clue if it's an adaptation of cluedo i didn't understand yeah there are some regional differences and for instance there is the mr green character in this film though in the british version it's reverend green indeed and My miss child. miss scarlet is uh got two t's i think in the english version and in American, just one T. Oh, those stinking English with those extra letters at the end. Well, yeah, the, the extra T, the extra dough. <laughs> um, mm. But the the game itself, the origins of it, it is a British game originally, um, developed, I think, in the sort of uh, 1940s by Anthony E. Pratt from Birmingham. Uh, and it was uh, released, I think, by Waddington's, which made me think, I wondered whether the Butler character played by Tim Curry is called Wadsworth, and I wonder whether couldn't they just call him Waddington, just to like have that link? But maybe there was a an issue in terms of the licensing because it's released by Parker Brothers in the states. Yeah, I mean, you could have been called Parker, who's like an iconic Butler name. So they really <laughs> missed a trick. They had two Butler names staring really them right good in the butler face. Butler names. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I decided because it had been a very long time since I had played. Cluedo and I did not have a copy with me um, in any shape or form so I downloaded Cluedo for mobile phone for about £1.50 (laughs) and um, I had good fun playing 20 minutes of it So was that with other people, like online? You weren't playing with yourself? Okay. You you can play it online and you can play with friends. I was just doing a sort of versus CPU single player tutorial or what have you but it's it's a sort of slightly updated version so replacing mrs white you have dr orchid who actually looks right. more like mrs white in the movie than mrs white ever did in the game sounds like a bond villain dr orchid yeah she also looks a bit like b orchid from killer instinct um <laughs> that's interesting but she definitely did it. Yeah, she definitely did it with her light sticks or whatever she Imagine has. Imagine if one of the characters is called like Mr. Murder. And like, <laughs> hey, hey, just because I've called Mr. Murder. Come on now. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's sort of like the updated version, although, you know, in the download stores or whatever, you can buy reskinned versions where you can have the classic version or you can have the whole uh, sort of murder mystery take place on a film set or on a, a sort of Egyptian themed um, story or different kinds of mansions and museums, I think. The problem of changing the setting is that 
you know, it's not going to be just six people being the suspects, you know. Anyone could have walked in on and off a film set. It could have been like the best boy or something, but he's long gone. <laughs> I think it would be a very long game if it's just, okay, you have 150 Everyone suspects. Everyone in the world. <laughs> You've got a stack of cards a mile high. Um, <laughs> was it Mr. Phillips? With <laughs> the every single item in creation. <laughs> the bit of cheese in the, think of a room, smoking area. The outdoor smoking area. <laughs> No, it's definitely stab wounds. <laughs> uh, cool. I mean, at least playing it online, you're going to avoid forgetting to put the fucking cards in the little <laughs> evidence envelope, which has definitely happened to us. <laughs> and I know it features in Father Ted, but I think we definitely have had an experience where, and I think we, either you or our brother Hamish were very young and somebody hadn't put in the cards and it took forever. <laughs> Yeah, just you have to just eliminate everyone going round mm. every single player until there's no one. But you know, on the plus side, nobody died. We just accused each other of murder for like an afternoon. <laughs> well, no, so... someone still died, but they didn't die at the hands of anyone with no weapon mm. and also in no room. So yes. I, I don't know whether they just like, you know, their heart gave in and then they died, but then they sort of vanished into a void like they were in no clip mode well if i recall correctly the game starts with the body being found at the stairs and nobody assumes he just fell down the stairs <laughs> it's like no it must be murder and again that's that whole cliche where you know there's a revolver has he got any bullet wounds no well it ain't gonna be a gun then is it but maybe he was hit over the back of the head of a gun actually that's the point I guess anyway, this, this was, was murder cast. <laughs> I guess this was all devised before um, DNA and forensics. But yes, you could probably ascertain that it was definitely not a knife or a gun by virtue of how the body has been penetrated. <laughs> Leading up to that word, weren't you, Rory? <laughs> Now on DVD, for the first time, inspired by the classic board game, Clue, a movie mystery adventure. Where do we start? Scene of the crime, of course. After witnessing a horrible crime. Guys, guys, up there. We found no body at the hotel last night, so no one believes we saw what we saw. Six teens must work to piece together clues. Come on, the answer's probably right in front of us. No, the answer is all around us. To solve the mystery of who done it. Game on. Wait, isn't that it's the murder weapon? Run! You think Tesla hid something in room 33? Like what? Why were you following? Don't worry, Colonel Mustard, I can keep up. Earth to Miss Scarlet. We'll play Professor Plum. Clue, a movie mystery adventure. You guys should have seen Scarlet in the conservatory with the lead pipe. She was awesome. Now available from Shout Factory. Well, aside from the mobile game, there were, of course, many other video game versions of the original Clue board game. There was a Super Nintendo version, I think, only released in North America. Which was um, a scrolling beat-em-up, I imagine. <laughs> You it's select right. your character. It's like Teenage Turtles, the game. Yeah. Turtles in Time, but they're not turtles. Professor Plum is Donatello. Yeah, naturally. Oh, they are color coded as well. 
There's been so many versions of Cluedo. Why haven't we done a Teenage Turtles Cluedo where they find Splinter brained in the bottom of the sewer and we have to decide which teenager killed him? <laughs> Turns out it was April O'Neil with a poison pizza. <laughs> but there have also been other live-action adaptations of Clue on screens. And um, aside from, of course, the movie, there has been a 2011 US TV series marketed at kids, uh, a sort of short limited series where Mm. a bunch of tweens who basically look like Rebecca Black's friends from her Friday music video. um, And they attend a school charity ball or something and witness a crime and then they have to solve it. I didn't get much past the title sequence <laughs> so I, I and i also notice you said crime not murder i well i didn't even get that far because they didn't i think as far as i got where the police said there was no body in the hotel room you said that the murder took place in. so i don't even know whether there was a crime or they survived or what <laughs> did you know that rebecca black has released a new music video a 10th anniversary remix of her Friday Friday music video. I have, and I've watched it, and it's something. <laughs> Isn't, uh, like, in the UK edition, Mr. Black is the name of the victim, not Mr. Body? I think I think he's called Mr. Black, yeah. Mm. So, you know. It all comes all... together. <laughs> you know, we, we, we so, I sometimes feel like we our thought processes is that of a medium, and we sort of just look for signs and connections where there's none. <laughs> oh for sure anytime anyone has been in another video game movie that's the one credit i bring up rather than all the countless more recognizable and famous credits that they have <laughs> <laughs> um, um but i think the the sort of key adaptation beyond this one is the early 90s uk tv game show version of cluedo which i remember us um enjoying Oops. question mark <laughs> I obsessed over it, and I think even at a time, I think I was aware the public and, and, and TV critics at large were calling it awful. I loved it. I, I've been watching, well, I say watching, skimming through some episodes which have been uploaded to YouTube, and I'm, I'm finding it very fascinating, and I wonder if there's a spin-off podcast. <laughs> Um, that we could do watching old episodes of the Cluedo TV show and trying to solve the mysteries. Because, so it lasted for about four series, and in each series they changed the cast playing the different um, suspects. But, you know, you've got some notable names. They've got uh, Rula Lenska, June Whitfield, Richard Wilson, Tom Baker, Joanna Lumley, Mm. Christopher Biggins, Nicholas Parsons. Um, quite a range. I do remember. I do remember Christopher Biggins like being the killer at one point, and a, a murderous Christopher Biggins. It's a terrifying thing to see. Oh God, yeah. No, I watched it, and because at the end of the show, so they have a bunch of celebrities um, trying to solve the crime. The, the structure of it is that the host presents this sort of ten minutes of uh, drama. VT. Then, yeah, VT. Uh, I think it was. Um, uh, in the second series, it was Chris Tarrant. Third and fourth, it was Richard Maidley. So we're talking creme de la creme. <laughs> Tarrant and Maidley. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the first, the first series, they had one celebrity. Um, they have the the people solving the crime in pairs, and they have a celebrity, and then like a member of the public, and then in subsequent series, it was just celebrities. But the member of the public they have is always like an ex police officer or like criminologist. It's really weird because in the first episode, they sort of introduced themselves. She's a former police officer, but she was in an adaptation of the Hound of the Basketballs in Taunton once. <laughs> That's her credentials. They've all, they've, all, they've all been dishonorably discharged as well, but we never mentioned that. And then in the, the other one is a, is a, a pathologist who uh, says that his experiences of Cluedo are he once played it for two days straight in order to raise money for a minibus. <laughs> Which is maybe the most British answer you've ever heard. Raising money for a minibus. There's so many other ways to raise money for minibuses, and he chose that. Playing Cluedo for two days straight. Was it one game of Cluedo? <laughs> I mean, maybe they didn't put anything in the evidence bag. Like you, you've told me that it was the candlestick five times, and we've, <laughs> I, you've got the candlestick cards. Shut up. But but speaking of bidgins, yes, I watched I watched the episode where spoilers for season three, episode one of Cluedo. <laughs> um, but it is Reverend Green, Christopher Biggins, who uh, stabbed Neil Morrissey in the neck with a pair of scissors. <laughs> oh. And then he like, confesses to Gamera in a very chilling and dramatic monologue, confessing his crime. It's um, haunting, I would say. Uh, made it even stranger by the fact that he's, there's Tom Baker as Professor Plum sat next to him. And uh, the celebrities who didn't guess he was the killer instead were was the weird pairing of Edwina Curry and Richard O'Brien. All right, thank you. Well, I can tell you. It was the kitchen. It was the scissors. And it was the Reverend Green. I don't know what came over me. I've been part of the community for over 15 years. All my friends are here. My, my flock. My roots. I've given everything to this parish. And I don't have the strength to go on to new ventures, to start afresh. That's what it would have meant. I just think the, the prospect was, was so cruel, so unfair. I didn't go back into the kitchen to do him any harm. I don't know why I picked up the scissors. I just wanted to challenge him. But he laughed at me. There they were in my hands. And all I could see was his bare neck. And I forgot who I was. God help me, I, I actually forgot who I was. Don't forget, in just a few moments, I'll be giving you details of how you can win a murder mystery weekend. So, having discussed the world of Cluedo, I mean, you have all played Cluedo. <laughs> you don't need us to explain to you what Cluedo is. Um, shall we move on to the film... In question yes our prime suspect uh so traditionally we use a video box to tell us the plot because we can't be asked to summarize them ourselves i've got two classic 
VHS covers got off the internet. One is very brief, and one is a UK VHS box with a cover I've never seen before. Um, the traditional poster is like a picture of the house with all the actors in there through the windows. But the video box I have seems to be silhouettes, sort of like a performance piece by Cirque du Soleil with with all the characters holding their weapons as if they're about to brain literally anyone and everyone. Anyway, it's a... You learn something new every day, and I learned what the VHS cover of this particular VHS box looks like. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> so I'm going to do this one first. Cluedo isn't just a board game anymore. The suspicious characters and sinister rooms made famous by the popular board game have come to life. Clue is a comedy that also entertains as a murder mystery in the classic tradition of delicious and stylish whodunits. The butler, the maid and the cook, plus a few others, are new characters invented for the film. And each is both a suspect and a potential villain. For mysterious reasons, a bizarre group of people are summoned to a luxurious dinner party in an elegant but long-deserted American Gothic mansion. Didn't seem long deserted. I actually never worked out who owns that mansion. But anyway, in the course of the evening, their darkest secrets are revealed and the gathering becomes dangerous for all and for some fatal as it escalates from nervous apprehension to frantic terror. So that's a good overview. But I thought it was worth noting this, uh, like I think, American copy which also features a lovely picture of Tim Curry brandishing the weapons on a serving tray, which I enjoyed. Um, The American video says, here is the murderously funny, here is the murderously funny, I'll start again, here is the murderously, (laughs) murderously, why do I have trouble with murderously? That's not a word, murderously. Okay, got it. Here is the murderously funny movie based Why on the world. Why are you saying murderously? It's murderlessly. Murder. Murderlessly. Murderlessly. Here, here is the. Can you just step in when it gets to the word? Here is the murderlessly funny movie based on the world famous Clue board game, and now. With this special video cassette version, you can see all three surprise endings. Was it Colonel Mustard in the study with a gun? Miss Scarlet in the billiard room with the rope? Or was it Wadsworth the butler? Meet all the notorious suspects and discover all their foul playthings. You'll love their dastardly doings as the bodies and the laughs pile up before your eyes. And then just a reminder, featuring all three surprise endings. So uh, yeah, endings. That is um, is what that particular VHX box concerns itself with. Because we haven't really mentioned this, have we? Three endings does the film Clue have? And yeah, that is definitely, I think, the gimmick which was designed to entice people to go see it, but clearly it didn't pay off necessarily. Um, and it's very strange because. 
because so the film was released in 1985, the year I was born, I did not have a chance to see it at the cinema. Indeed, I don't think I've ever seen it on the big screen. Um, so the only version I've ever seen has been the one which has all three endings back to back. And it must have been a very strange experience to go see a film knowing that you're only going to get a portion of... Well, I suppose it's always intended to have just one ending, but the way the endings play out without going sort of too far ahead of ourselves, it's definitely works best as a sort of cumulative effect. You have yeah. jokes which repeat themselves within the endings, and obviously some are called bats to earlier in the film, but it really is interesting just like, I don't know, I just, I, I imagine some of the cool reception from credits was a bit like, well, I got this ending and eh. Because a whodunit revolves so much around the reveal. There's only so many which like can, you know, satisfy. I think the film does quite a decent enough job to try and make each ending satisfactory within itself, but it also makes the film a bit shorter and some of the endings aren't quite as dramatic and climactic as you might hope. Well, you say the point of a whodunit is the reveal, but I think the motive plays a big part. And mm. I do really love this film. In fact, I think I suggested this film after watching it again recently. So, you know, I had no problem with watching it twice in the space of a couple of weeks. But and I'm not going to say I count against it because it's such a farce and so silly that it doesn't really matter. But I think... If you're writing a whodunit where it literally can be, it literally doesn't matter that who did it, then it's not really a whodunit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I suppose, like, for instance, you know, the sort of recent successful Bateskrain version of this kind of film was Knives Out, more so than I think, say, Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh version. Um, but that obviously sort of plows a very similar furrow. But the idea of doing a, a, an adaptation of a well-known Agatha Christie is that people may be going to it already knowing who has done it, but they want to see the stars. They want to see like how it's interpreted in that way. With something like Knives Out, we sort of kind of like know a little bit like where it's going and who's involved but we don't quite know the exact precise details and there's a lot of enjoyment seeing you know different characters catching up with you the audience who knows more than everyone else rather than the opposite way around where you usually the audience don't know what's happening but knives out is a sort of commentary on the very idea of whodunits mm. it just seems that if you were to write a story where the ending doesn't matter it's kind of insulting towards the audience and you know if if any if this was if this was any other film if it wasn't a farce and you know <laughs> it, it just feels like it would be kind of insulting and and we will get into the discussions of the endings a little bit later but you know some of the endings don't seem to make earlier stuff make any sense at all <laughs> and if certain endings were to work, they were acting very strangely at the start <laughs> of the film. <laughs> well, I mean, I think one of them even says that it is the butler character, Tim Curry Wadsworth, 
behind everything and um the evil mr body blackmailer extraordinaire was the butler but the butler therefore is acting really sketchily so <laughs> it's so weird i do like the line though because in that ending it suggests that professor plum was the one who killed mr body thinking he was the butler and what's reveal so who did i kill and he says my butler and he just goes oh shucks <laughs> well here's the thing this we could just sit here and quote this film because it is so funny. There are so many little quips, even picking up on my on my umpteenth watch. And uh, I'll do my best not to repeat them all. You know? But I, I think what you were saying is is calling this a farce. I think maybe that's also like why it has developed a cult following. Maybe it wasn't such a success at the start. And I think. I think farce is the right word. And I think that's what I enjoy about the film hugely is that as kind of farce in this tradition, having this ensemble cast playing off one another, having a mix of kind of slapstick, witty one-liners, general sort of chaos, the way this film plays out feels like a kind of stage performance in a way. It feels like, you know, quite a sort of British farce. The director um, and co-writer of the film, Jonathan Lynn, is British and um, made his name originally with Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, mm. um, which is maybe not sort of farcical in, in that respect, but comes, I think, you know, you could see that sort of tradition. Uh, it was story... Yeah, the dialogue, the dialogue in Yes Minister, you could sense it in here, in this film. And I think as well, you have the co-writer and story as well. It's actually producer John Landis. And I think you can feel his prints on it as well and him being something of an Anglophile, I would say. I think despite the fact that this is taking place in America, in New England, um, but in America, and as well having Tim Curry there as as the butler, etc. It it that that's why I think when I first saw it as a child, I didn't really know New England. I assumed it was England, but everyone was like Americans in England, just because I didn't understand that America also had mansions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just use it. Sort of feels it has this sort of British comic sensibility even though so much of the plot is very much american and and considering you know i enjoyed this so much as a child there would have been so much that went over my head the whole backdrop in the 1950s the sort of mccarthyism house of un-american activities committee or the fact that the different characters have ties to washington and it's got this background of fbi investigations informants post-world war ii uh, communist suspicion, you know, the fact that Wadsworth breaks down because some of his wife's friends were socialists. Well, communism was just a red herring. Exactly. As I say, three times in the three separate endings. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point, though, because one thing I thought as this film began was, you know, with, with a project like this, um, which also the people who developed battleships had to dis- had to, to contend with. It's like, what do you do for a plot for this? You know, I mean, I was trying to do some research as to if if it was like a an official plot to Cluedo, 
you know um but not really no so you know they decided though this film is 85 it is set in 1954 it's just i just i'm a i love to know how you begin to do something like this i mean to my mind this feels just perfect and i think as a kid i probably didn't even realize that it was set in the 50s i know it says on the screen the date but i was probably playing with a stickle brick or something <laughs> so um yeah it didn't uh, quite work numbers out. That's what <laughs> school's for. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maths. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's just an interesting setting, and I do wonder if this remake would would set it in the past, make it period, or set it in the modern day. Speaking of kids, I did, I did. I mean, we watched this on Amazon Prime, and it says rated seven plus, <laughs> and I thought, gosh, seven year olds get a lot out of this. All like the butt grabbing and, and innuendo and things i mean um yeah i mean the fact that there's lots of references to sexual deeds and there's quite a lot of inferred innuendo and blue material not made explicit but just in terms of like characters well i suppose apart from professor plum who is definitely a perv um <laughs> Yeah, I did write a note here saying my 2021 brain says sexual assault for lols when uh, Professor Plum squeezes Scarlet's bum. And, you know, it's a different time. It's a different time. It's, it definitely it, establishes he's being a pervert, though. So it's not like they, he's, he's, you know, yeah. he's doing a bad thing. It's sort of like it's 50 sensibilities via 80 sensibilities looking back in terms of 2021 sensibilities and i think the idea is that all of these characters who have been gathered at this mansion under mysterious circumstances the the main players that we know of the game they're all being blackmailed um because of perceived immoral activity and and some of that is obviously to do with potential ties with this sort of communist sort of witch hunt going on but also there's a lot of like immoral panic um as as part of that because of unsavory deeds and more stuff gets revealed as it goes on but uh yeah generally speaking we're dealing with a bunch of fairly bad eggs so like i think you know and potentially murderers so i think the fact that they do have these uh aspects of their character is 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 just part of like the juicy details I just love the mystery of it all at the start, how they're all being drawn to this house because they all received a letter. I think with very little, it really piques my interest. Like if you received a letter, I mean, all my letters now come from the council and things. (laughs) That's the only time I get letters. But if you've got a letter saying, come to this house, something to your advantage. Um, I am a prince from Kenya and I have all this money. Um, No, seriously though, it's... um, quite the hook and of course they all know they're being blackmailed so but that's the yeah. thing I, I i think like what this film does so well and you know as we know from doing a podcast about video game movies like this should not be as good as it is and as you were saying about the sort of source material where's the hook where does it lie but what it does is that despite the different endings is that everything is so well played and i love the music and i love the score and how it sets the scene it sets the tone and how despite the fact there's lots of comic stuff going on everyone plays it fairly straight um 
it is genuinely suspenseful and tense and death, death mysterious. is something to be feared death <laughs> is something to be feared um there is a point at the end towards the end of the film where i think it, where in one power cut three people die like a stranger a cop and a maid and they do sort of walk through the house a bit dumbfounded by it all that's the, thing, the only time when it's sort of played for laughs but yeah for legitimately it's um it's scary you know they are trapped in the house yeah. with a murderer there's um there's a section when they have to split off into pairs and they and everyone knows the person they are with could be a killer <laughs> and that's that's tense stuff and then yeah just colonel mustard comes up with a plan and says but if I'm with the killer, I'm on my own, then I could get killed. It's just like, then we would know who the murderer was. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's his characterization as a colonel. They have to embody these rather sort of nebulous, yet iconic figures of some personality and things, and they do it so well. I mean, I was, I was looking at the trivia for Internet Movie Database, and even their cars, they drive to the house of the colours of their characters like miss white well miss white i ironically is completely dressed in black and her car is black but plum and green and and scarlet all their cars are the colors of their characters it's just it's just real neat i, I guess <laughs> quentin was quentin tarantino maybe got the idea for reservoir dogs you know, mr green mr white <laughs> um wadsworth <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think you might spare us this humiliation? I'm sorry. Professor Plum, you were once a professor of psychiatry, specialising in helping paranoid and homicidal lunatics suffering from delusions of grandeur. Yes, but now I work for the United Nations. So your work has not changed. But you don't practice medicine at the UN. His licence to practice has been lifted, correct? Why? What did he do? You know what doctors aren't allowed to do with their lady patients? Yeah. Well, he did. Oh, oh how disgusting. Are you making moral judgments, Mrs. Peacock? How then do you justify taking bribes in return for delivering your husband, Senator Peacock's vote, to certain lobbyists? My husband is a paid consultant. There is nothing wrong with that. Not if it's publicly declared, perhaps. But if the payment is delivered by slipping used greenbacks in plain envelopes under the door of the men's room, how would you describe that transaction? I'd say it stinks. Oh, how would you know? When were you in that men's room? So it's true. No, it's a vicious lie. I'm sure we're all glad to hear that. But you've been paying blackmail for over a year now to keep that story out of the papers. Well, I am willing to believe you. I, too, am being blackmailed for something I didn't do. Me, too. And me. Not me. You're not being blackmailed? Oh, I'm being blackmailed, all right. But I did what I'm being blackmailed for. What did you do? Well, to be perfectly frank, I run a specialized hotel and a telephone service which provide gentlemen with the company of a young lady for a short while. Oh, yeah? What's the phone number? So how did you know Colonel Mustard works in Washington? Is he one of your clients? Certainly not. I was asking Miss Scarlett. Well, you tell him it's not true. It's not true. Is that true? No, it's not true. Ha-ha, so it is true. A double negative. Double negative? You mean you have photographs? That sounds like a confession to me. In fact, the double negative has led to proof positive. I'm afraid you gave yourself away. Are you trying to make me look stupid in front of the other guests? You don't need any help from me, sir. That's right. Well, seriously, I don't see what's so terrible about Colonel Mustard visiting a... House of ill fame, most soldiers do, don't oh, they? Please. But he holds a sensitive security post in the Pentagon. And, Colonel, you drive a very expensive car for someone who lives on a Colonel's Bay. I don't. I came into money during the war when I lost my mommy and daddy. 
Mrs. White, you've been paying our friend the blackmailer ever since your husband died under, shall we say, mysterious circumstances. Oh! <gasps> why is that funny? I see. That's why he was lying on his back in his coffin. I didn't kill him. Then why are you paying the blackmailer? I don't want a scandal, do I? We had had a very humiliating public confrontation. He was deranged. He was lunatic. He didn't actually seem to like me very much. He had threatened to kill me in public. Why would he want to kill you in public? I think she meant he threatened in public to kill her. Oh. Was that his final word on the matter? Being killed is pretty final, wouldn't you say? And yet he was the one who died, not you, Mrs. White, not you. What did he do for a living? He was a scientist. Nuclear physics. What was he like? He was always a rather stupidly optimistic man. I mean, I'm afraid it came as a great shock to him when he died, but he, he was found dead at home. His head had been cut off, and so had his, uh, you know. I had been out all evening at the movies. Do you miss him? Well, it's a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. But he was your second husband. Your first husband also disappeared. But that was his job. He was an illusionist. But he never reappeared. He wasn't a very good illusionist. <clears throat> I have something to say. I'm not going to wait for Wadsworth here to unmask me. I work for the State Department, and I'm a homosexual. I feel no personal shame or guilt about this, but I must keep it a secret or I will lose my job on security grounds. Thank you. Well, it just leaves Mr. Body. What's your little secret? His secret? Oh, hadn't you guessed? He's the one who's blackmailing you all. You can't Should we talk a bit about the characters since we're on the subject? I mean, how yeah. do you want to do this? As, as I said, well, we are. We're, it's, it'll be pretty difficult to actually trace the plot of this film because there's a, a few. It's, it's, it just never stops, does it? Yeah, I mean, the film is a lot of running from room to room and lots of screaming. Um, and, you know, like amongst the tension and stuff, there is, you know, the farcical elements. But the sort of start of the film, once the the stage has been set, as it were, the strange uh, guest who has revealed to be blackmailing all these people, Mr. Body, uh, he presents all our characters with the iconic weapons and his suggestion is that they use the weapons to kill Wadsworth, who's the only person who knows about um, the blackmailing beyond them. Um, yeah, the but story we, just to interrupt, so the story they're given, they're all being blackmailed by Mr. Body, with two Ds, Body, <laughs> and Wadsworth is the person who brought them all together with a view to exposing Mr. Body and turning him over to the police. So we get this ticking clock, don't we, where yeah. he's called the police and they're going to be here in about 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but uh, what happens is that the lights go off, there's a gunshot, there's some screaming, and when the lights turn back on again, Mr. Body, his body, is lying face down on the floor. I found it interesting that they managed to turn off the lights in the living room with a fireplace. And even the fireplace turns off for a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's one of those best ones. <laughs> I guess so. All done from the light switch. It's pretty useful. Um, uh, but yeah, so the, the stage is then set as to who the murderer is. And we have the familiar 
Cluedo classic roster amongst them. So I don't know where you want to start. Well, I really enjoyed Mrs. Peacock in this, <laughs> which is a, a largely screaming performance. An actress called Eileen Brennan. Yes, perhaps most famous for Private Benjamin playing opposite Goldie Horn. Um, which uh, a film I've not seen in ages because yeah. they just don't show it on telly. No, that's true. Yeah, it used to be on quite a bit, but I don't think I've seen even a glimpse of it for a long time. But I think she reprised that role in a Private Benjamin TV series, and she got, mm. I think, maybe Oscar nominated for that performance. Perhaps. I mean, I can't, I can't even remember enough about Private Benjamin, but I imagine the central joke being women in the military isn't really funny anymore. <laughs> I think it's more Goldie Horn in the military is the joke. So all these characters have got, although they are all meant to be anonymous, I mean, all these names, Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. Wyatt, etc., they're all pseudonyms given to them by Wadsworth the butler. Uh, but we learn that Mrs. Peacock is the wife of a politician and she's also a regular host. And so she can't keep her mouth shut, really. But when the shit starts to hit the fan, she has the most, I think, extreme reaction to events. I think a lot of the men try to work it out logically and methodically, but she's just freaking out. And shortly after Mr. Body's body is found and they're trying to work out how to, how he died, she immediately goes for some cognac. And then it, somebody points out maybe he was poisoned. And her screeching and screaming around and having to be slapped by Mr. Green, who goes, I had to stop her from screaming. I just loved it. I don't know why. Maybe I imagine she's like nails on the chalkboard for some viewers, but I don't know. I th I think she's sort of like I think it's the sort of sincerity in the performance. Like when they're all having the very awkward dinner, and she just can't, you know, like she just can't resist breaking the ice and just starts mm. babbling on about stuff. It's just such a beautiful, a beautifully observed performance. It's just like exactly how like you feel like she is that character like mm. completely down to it. And I think what what I like about the film is, is, is amongst the dialogue, and I think you just have this really talented group of players who even just like little reactions, just because it's an ensemble movie, the cast, apart from when they kind of split up, all the actors are with each other almost the whole time. Mm, they're all making choices as well throughout. So everyone has to react to what's happening and what someone else is saying because they're sort of just present at all the times. But it means you just get some really lovely non-dialogue stuff. Like when Mrs. Peacock first meets Yvette and just like the look she gives Yvette the maid's cleavage. <laughs> she falls into her cleavage. It's just... And she, I mean, hit, she doesn't hit the bottom. I mean, everyone ends up staring at Yvette's cleavage at some point during the film. That's the sort of gag. But the way that Miss Peacock reacts to it, just like this kind of very subtle but very clear double take, just <laughs> with, with a slight bit of like a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of disgust, and a little bit of just like, I, I just need to not look at that. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's really just perfect. When she's breaking the ice in the dinner table, that's when um, Christopher Lloyd steps in as Professor Plum, sort of psychoanalyzing her. And again, that's another sort of just showing the character, but without stating his profession necessarily. Um, Christopher Lloyd, of course, I know everyone knows from Bats the Future and 
also at the Addams Family films. When I was a kid, I I was always perturbed when I saw Christopher Lloyd about his white dock hair from Back to the Future because I thought that was his actual hair. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize he didn't wear his hair like that all the time. So um yeah seeing him in this role and again being really obsessed with pussy (laughs) (laughs) kind of weirded me out a bit but you know obviously he's he's being blackmailed by for for acting in that way for taking advantage of his uh, students and things like that of his patience of his patience and also he just rocks a pipe like yes. when he's got that yeah i'm not talking about the lead pipe i'm talking <laughs> about about his actual pipe who got the lead pipe though maybe it was him uh, i think it was green okay. uh played by michael mckean from yes this is spinal tap amongst many other roles i know what a genius man and he was like 37 when he did this really Get, yeah really wow. makes you think really makes you think I'm 37. Just makes you think how in the olden days, really young people like me <laughs> looked very much older just because of the I don't know, he looks baby-faced in this. I suppose he does he comes across as the youngest one, doesn't he? And um the McCarthy-esque Achilles heel for him is the fact that he's uh homosexual and he can't really admit that in the government job which um I think is done fairly deftly. I don't think he's he's being he's not mincing or anything like that, but you know, I'm not really also the person to discuss this sort of representation in that way. I, I will say we um we have been coming up with our own fantasy cast for a remake of Clue and I decided to focus more on his clumsiness than the other side of him. Um, because yes, he is the one who's who doesn't really know where to put his hands and things, does he? Yeah, there's always uh, whenever there's like the dinner gong bashed or a lightning storm or something like that, he spills his drink everywhere. And, and uh, a, yeah, there's a beautiful bit of um, blocking when people walk into the living room, like midway through the film, and there's a couple of dead bodies on couches. And everyone is just trying to find a seat. And sort of absentmindedly, everyone's filling the seats that Mr. Green is trying to sit in. And it's just, I don't know how many takes that took, but because he's so awkward, he he doesn't force people out of his way. So he ends up sitting on like a drinks um, cabinet, which collapses eventually. But again, just if it has that sort of, finely rehearsed vibe of a stage play and yeah i really enjoyed it <laughs> there's also like speaking of reaction shots there's just this great bit where uh, a cop arrives at the manor and they have to do this very classic fast routine of acting like everything is normal mm. um which leads itself to various characters having to pretend or even actually make out with some of the corpses which have stacked up. Miss White or Mrs. White is full-on tonguing a corpse at that point. I loved it. and It's like really gross. It is really gross. Like it ain't no thing. Yeah. But there's just this bit where you have this sort of 
misunderstanding where the cop is sort of saying to Wadsworth, everything's peachy, everything's fine, because he's been convinced potentially by uh, the behavior that he's witnessed. And there's just this bit where um, it just, the cop turns back to Mr. Green, who's like panicking. And the, the smile that Michael McKean pulls in that moment just this kind of like glazed over everything's hunky dory kind of grin, <laughs> and then immediately drops face as soon as the cop turns back to Wordsworth. It's just, again, like just a beautiful, beautiful touch. I also written here that there's a section when I think everyone, somebody's screaming downstairs, and half the cast runs into each other on the landing, and they all collapse together. But I noticed Michael McKean really like just launches himself onto his back and i couldn't believe it i just like gosh i think only a 37 year old man can do that but don't let don't don't ask me to demonstrate it i don't know on this rewatch i saw some very clear stunt double wiggage going on i'm afraid all right oh that's broken the illusion i mean as we're talking about the cop scene the the button having convinced the cop that everything is fine i think the only person who's been who has not been privy to all the um all like the fake dancing of corpses and kissing of corpses is Wadsworth. Wadsworth thinks the cop has been shown some actual dead bodies, but the cop is oblivious and the cop is like, oh, it's just people having a good time. <laughs> and um, you know, it's America, you know, land to the free. And Wadsworth's like, I didn't know it was that free. Mm. It's just um this is a a tour de force for Tim Curry, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, his role here, uh, it's interesting that back of the box you're talking about where it's just like the butler, the cook, the maid, all these new, fun, fresh characters, even though I think Mrs. White is meant to be a cook in at least the classic version of Cluedo, but anyway. Um, but yeah, like, he's he is the MVP, like, uh, amongst the obviously ensemble cast, but he has so much dialogue to contend with. He has to basically reel off so much exposition throughout the film and then pretty much recap the whole film three times over in the various different endings. That's a particular joy as well. It's so fun to watch a film repeat itself through somebody describing it, you know what I mean? And yeah. You never really get to see that. Um, and he just does it with such energy. He repeats that line I quoted from Mr. Green. I had to stop her from screaming. And it's like, he does it perfectly. Yeah. But but that's the thing. Yeah. Like it, there's, there's so much for him to get through. And there is like a breathlessness in those moments with the performance. But, you know, that, that role in different hands could have not have that same joy to it. It could have been very sort of, flat and very tricky to contend with but he like completely nails it at, at whatever he's meant to be doing i think there might have been an inclination from another actor to always be cool you know but there's there's something about tim curry's performance where he's barely holding on you kind of it's like watching somebody on a high wire you're waiting for them to fall but he keeps doing it it's kind of it's kind of amazing <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, when people think of Tim Curry, they, of course, think of Frank Converter. They think of uh, Legend, Darkless. I watched that recently for the first time. It's okay. <laughs> um, I, oh, you know, Home Alone 2, It, countless others. I think this is slightly underrated. People don't tend to think of it, but I feel it might be my favorite Tim Curry performance. 
it's definitely right up there. I mean, like, I don't think we've talked about Tim Curry necessarily before on the podcast, but he is also maybe we have touched upon him because he was in Wing Commander Three um, as well, and it's just the fact that like he gives so much with all his performances. So he's done a lot of voiceover, uh, of course, and with that has appeared in lots of video games. And you know, we can't mention Tim Curry in video games without mentioning his iconic delivery in Command and Conquer Red Alert 3. I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! I mean, 50 years from now, we might be on Mars and it might be a fully capitalist Mars. (laughs) And uh, three separate coffee chains on the high street. We've not covered everyone, though. In the uh, guest list, we also have, I guess if we're talking about iconic performances, we can't not talk about Miss White. Or is it Mrs. White? I think I think she's had many husbands. Many, I don't know many which husbands. one is, is the white of her name, but she is certainly a Mrs. several times over. I say iconic because I feel that like, men fear her and women want to be her. <laughs> because <laughs> cause, um she she don't take no shit i'm just trying to think of what else i've seen her in well uh madeline khan is probably best known for her work with uh films by mel brooks and peter bogdanovich so she was in young frankenstein uh she was in blazing saddles i think she got an oscar nomination for that uh role so yeah she's like an iconic comic performer mm. and Again, it's 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 one of those things where she just nails the line delivery. She the little gestures she makes, the little like noises she makes, like there's all this like shouting and screaming, and she's just going. Ah, ah. <laughs> she's still in shock a little bit. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Um, I mean, she dresses like she's in mourning, <laughs> and the the joke is that Mrs. Ms., Mrs. White is dressed completely in black apart from like a massively contrasting white interior of her coat when which is revealed and yeah i mean what a performer there's a moment when the the group is running around they end up in the kitchen expecting to discover a body and mr green happens to be at the forefront of the group and mrs white just gives him a tiny push over the threshold and it's just just something about how she's she's a person who's, who who puts somebody else in the way if it saves her skin. <laughs> and... Yeah, I think it's sort of when she's talking about uh, one of her various husbands who um, died in mysterious circumstances. Well, I say mysterious. They say his, <laughs> his head was cut off and his, you know. Um, but, uh, Is that she... when everyone crosses their legs? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> she says, it's a matter of life and death. Now he's dead. I have a life. I know. This is what I'm saying. But I'm sure like many, many women, maybe even my wife, are like, yeah, goals. <laughs> um, I mean, I think out of the three endings, one, if you had to pit them against each other, one would have to win because it has her iconic lines about seeing flames in front of her face. She's describing just her rage at seeing some i think her husband with somebody else and apparently the line was ad-libbed 
and if you search for clue in gifs flames flames the side of my face will show up like it is it is one of the lines of yeah absolutely and again like that's something which um like we watch this film fairly regularly taped off the tv um uh as as kids and that's definitely a line that has forever stuck with me and the delivery of that especially it's just anytime i get a little bit miffed about something i <laughs> hate it so much that flames <laughs> flames on the side of my face he, he heaving breathing heaving <laughs> She's incapable of displaying too much emotion. So her trying to describe rage or anger, even that is quite difficult for her. So, yeah, again, amazing choice. I think the only person we might... The only guests we haven't talked about yet are Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know much about Martin Mole, who played Colonel Mustard. He's he's made regular TV appearances on lots of different comedy shows. I think he was in the Melissa Joan Hart version of Sabrina. Possibly was he the principal of that? Um, but more recently, he makes appearances in things like Arrested Development. He was in Veep, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. I think recently. So he's like a, a very like a frequently guest appearance comic actor uh, type, and I think he's really great in this. I think he really. I think with all of them, they really sell like the serious stuff and the comic stuff like really, really well. And I think he like gives the Colonel Mustard, like usually the Colonel Mustard character and even like Professor Plum character are sort of like older, stuffier sort of gentleman types, or at least that's what you sort of imagine them to be. But I don't know, like when he's talking about all the sort of tragic war stuff and like confessing to his crimes and everything, you get a real sense of guilt <laughs> from him yeah i think all of these actors were smart enough i mean it might have been the director of well of course suggesting this but i think all the actors were smart enough to have a real think about their characters in their lives and their stories what brought them to their point why they made the choices they made which are they are blackmailed for i guess it probably helps that if you're a character being blackmailed to something you've got to think about what they're being blackmailed for and you have to create a story for that i mean we just we've done i think we've done quite a lot of films rory where people just show up on the day and they act whatever is on the page you know but i got such pathos from colonel mustard where yes when he in action he is military minded but i think there's a moment when sort of wadsworth is kind of criticizing colonel mustard um, especially his vehicle. He's saying how Colonel Mustard drives such a nice car for being on a colonel's wage. And then witheringly, Colonel Mustard says, I came into my, into money when my parents died during the war. And that shuts up Wadsworth. And you really feel for him. It's very sad. Mm. But he's he's not the biggest of characters. I think we've kind of gravitated, we've gravitated towards the bigger performances, haven't we? um so far although we have like a made shape hole <laughs> in that because there's perhaps none bigger performance in her but before we get to the maid should we talk about miss scarlet 
Yeah, so Miss Scarlet's played by Leslie Ann Warren, whose work outside of Clue I don't really know, but I think she's terrific in this. She was, I think, in a series of the original Mission Impossible TV show as one of the leads. Um, oh, nice. And lots of sort of TV and uh, sort of credits before and since then. I think she has also been Oscar nominated for Victor Victoria in the past. Um, apparently, uh, according to IMDb, in, a, in an interview with the director and writer Carrie Fisher, was originally cast as Miss Scarlet, um, but uh, ended up in rehab for drug addiction four days before filming started. So Leslie Ann Warren was cast as a last minute replacement. Um, it's funny that because I love Carrie Fisher. I mean, she, not just for Star Wars, but she is amazing in When Harry Met Sally. But I feel there's something about Miss Scarlet that wouldn't quite fit Carrie Fisher. Mm. But I think Leslie Ann Warren's brilliant in this i'd like to like to see more stuff because i think she really she has the sort of the way she sort of like puts up with and also like shuts down like professor plum's advances and things and the way that you know her big thing is that she runs a brothel effectively and a cool girl line um but she's like really commanding and you know, you get the sense that she's like a serious entrepreneurial businesswoman yeah. about the whole situation and doesn't take shit from anyone. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she, it's easy to cast that character as somebody who, I mean, again, it's easy to cast this character from the original text, a board game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's easier to perhaps portray her as just a, a sex kitten and that's it. But no, she is, as you say, she's like a businesswoman and her the reason why she's being blackmailed is because she's been accruing secrets from her clientele. You say that she has the best put down, or she's very good at putting down uh, Professor Plum's advances, but my favourite one is when Professor Plum, I think, is demonstrating particular sexual move and he just grabs Miss White and puts Miss White on the sofa and she just says completely flatly, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really enjoyed. I mean, you know, it must have been so much fun to have all these talents together bouncing off each other. I, I bet it felt like being back at drama school or or just starting out and just allowing yourselves to have fun with the with the text, mm. which is again probably something we don't often say for some of our video game movies. <laughs> Why would he scream? He must have a victim in there. Oh, my God, Yvette. Oh, my God! You're alive. No, thanks to you. What do you mean? You locked me up with a murderer, you idiot. So the murderer is in this room. No, we. But where? Where? Here. We are all looking at him. Oh, uh. He's what Mrs. White said in the study. One of you is the killer. How did you know he said that? I was listening. But why were you screaming in here all by yourself? Because I am frightened, me too. I also drink the cognac. Mon Dieu. <laughs> I can't stay in here by myself. <laughs> Come back to the study with us. With the murder. There is safety in numbers, my dear. Now, there's not much to say about the cook, unfortunately. She is kind of by design not she's she's just the body in the room quite literally at the end but um 
Yvette, the French maid, um, is really kind of OTT in, in every way, like phys- physically and performance-wise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, as you mentioned, a lot of the characters are very obsessed with the cleavage. There is one particular shot when all the power's out and she's sort of bouncing down the stairs and her boobs keep bouncing in and out of the moonlight. And um, like, that's definitely intentional. <laughs> I mean, I had to look at the um, the actor's cast, so the actor's sort of credits, and I realised I'd seen her in Die Hard. Um, so she's performed by a Colleen Camp, and I'd seen her from Die Hard of a Vengeance, where she just plays like one of John McClane's fellow cops, and it kind of blue screened my brain a bit because <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, I just don't picture her out of anything except a maid's dress." Yeah, uh, she's she's wrapped up loads of extensive credits, and she's in lots of stuff. She's a she's a good actress i think and it's it's funny because she's playing this like ott french maid but when it comes to the point at which she is spoilers as we've mentioned have we said spoilers for clue spoilers for clue (laughs) i hope if you've got this far um but she um uh she drops her french accent uh Mm. at that point but then sort of revealed that she sort of in on the plot in some respect and then she is sort of strangled in the billiard room um and you hear the sort of whispering voice of someone who may or may not be their uh accomplice or the new killer and all that kind of stuff um but yeah like you know she's wrapped up a, a huge extensive range of credits and you know i guess it's the actor playing a very broad silly role but in a way, the character in of Yvette is a front um, as part of that when it's revealed that she is a, a cool girl under Miss Scarlet's employ. Yeah, I think whatever ending you get, I think the general reason for everything is that Mr. Body wants to get rid of all his contacts or get rid of like anyone who might incriminate him. But uh, putting that aside for a moment, I do just, I enjoy a big, over-the-top, outrageous French accent (laughs) of this school of Monty Python's Holy Grail. So, yeah, it felt very (laughs) allo-allo. And um, being a a British director, that's probably why. He says, I I know what's funny. Really silly French accents. (laughs) Um, But again, throwing herself into it big time i feel like we've done a good job of talking at length about this film but not really getting into any sort of particular plot but is there any sort of sections you kind of wanted to highlight at all any bits of dialogue i mean i've just gone to my notes here what's jumped right out of me i think when i think it's mrs white says he threatened to kill me in public and somebody says why and miss scarlet says why would he want to kill you in public i think he i think she meant he threatened in public to kill her <laughs> which is um maybe an old joke but i do like that sort of humor yeah there's a lot of like old comic devices where people are having a conversation and there's miscommunication between them so there's um 
one moment where Colonel Mustard is trying to ascertain whether there is anyone else in the house from <laughs> Wadsworth. And it's just this line of questioning, which deliberately the answers don't quite match the questions or the responses add to further questions. And it's a device which is used a lot in comedy, but it's, it's again, the performances which made that work. And then later on, you have a similar thing where they're trying to work out how many bullets are left in the revolver and it's all one plus two plus two plus one is six or one plus two plus one plus one plus two and that kind of thing and it's you know it ends up with the other character being like uh, shut up you know it's the increasing exasperation yeah and, it, and kind again, of like when i'm trying to answer emails and people are not quite understanding what i'm trying to fucking say yeah or when we're recording a podcast and i'm trying to get you to name the character correctly <laughs> pretty much yes <laughs> but yeah it's it's an old device and it's there's no real joke there it's just wordplay and writing but again it's it's down to the performances which deliver the goods another line i've got here related to yvette i think mrs peacock asks is there a ladies room in the hall wee oui, wee oui, madame no i just want to powder my nose i mean who doesn't like a wee wee joke I mean, one early joke was also, I think, Wadsworth, at the very start of the film, he shreds in some dog poo. And who doesn't love, and who doesn't find hilarious the people smelling things like they've stood in some dog muck? That's the first joke of the film. Like, the very first joke of the film is a dog shit joke. Mm. And, like, you sort of think, oh. And then, like, the next jokes are basically people, what's that smell kind of situation. And you kind of think like, oh dear, here we go. It's that kind of a movie. And yeah, then you get like the lecherous set stuff and and that kind of thing. But, you know, it sort of rises above it and it's all down to the performance. And it's this kind of midst of the clever jokes and the wordplay. Um, you know, the fact that they're talking about poetry and Colonel Mustard says, I prefer Kipling. And Miss Scarlett says, sure, I'll eat anything. <laughs> I think the actual line is, uh, Miss Scarlett, do you like Kipling? Sure, I'll eat anything. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're trying to paraphrase the greats. So I'll let you off. Again, the sort of callback jokes where it's to make a long story short, too late. Too late. <laughs> and there's just one thing I don't understand. One thing? Exactly. <laughs> I think the only thing to probably talk about are those three endings. And like we said at the start, they're not, they don't, there's no real purpose of there being three endings. And I think, yes, the definitive version is having all three. Um, I think in one of them, Scarlet is the killer because she wanted more secrets. She's a trades in secrets from her brothel, but now she has the secrets from everyone, even though she was the blackmailer of everyone. I can't remember if that connects at all. I think Peacock is the killer in the second ending. and But it turns out Wadsworth works for the FBI. And towards the end, there's this uh, guy who keeps appearing. I think they're known as the evangelist in the credits, but yes, it's someone... They're the God Squad. Yeah, who shows up at the door, <laughs> but reveals themselves to be... Uh, an FBI agent who, in each ending, they raid the manor um, to arrest the culprit. 
And then the third ending, like everyone did it, including Wadsworth, because Wadsworth turns out to be Mr. Body. Um, he's the blackmailer. And the person we thought was Mr. Body was his butler. I mean, we actually haven't talked about Mr. Body, but he's just this, he's just, he just looks like a blackmailer, to be honest. It's kind of my favorite ending, not least because we've got that line about flames on the side of my face turns out that mr green is actually the only one who didn't do it because he works for the fbi this time around and he shoots wadsworth and then the last line of the entire three endings is the supposedly homosexual mr green says i'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife which always stuck with me for some reason i just i mean before i really knew about homosexuality i just thought that's a really funny way to end a film um and it's that's also just ab- a strange thing to say to anyone i know um i think that was absolutely the gif i posted on my wedding night <laughs> no it was no it was the end of the my first week as a working as a married man i just posted i'm going home to sleep with my wife you know in, in separate beds because you know we're good christian folk but um, the thing is about an everyone did it sort of ending is we see shots during the film with somebody wearing a black glove, sort of picking up weapons and things like that and sort of doing, you can't see their identity, but you can see their begloved hands murdering people. And like, who's carrying black gloves everywhere? <laughs> Maybe yeah, rather than like whoever has the gun did it, it's just like everyone turn out your pockets, empty your purses. Yeah, um, no gun in here, gloves. but I've got these black gloves, these black leather gloves, which don't fit my outfit whatsoever. Um, so, you know, I don't really care, but at the same time, I think somewhere inside me, I'm like, you know, it'd be good. It would be good if it made sense. <laughs> if Wadsworth had this master plan, if any of these people had a master plan, Peacock, Scarlet, Wadsworth had a master plan. It seems like a lot of running around <laughs> and a lot of mania. A lot of things could have gone wrong. But, you know, I'm p- trying to pick apart something which decidedly doesn't really want to be picked apart. I think it's one of those things, though, where, like, you watch a film and you think, wow, a lot of ifs and buts had to take place in order for their plan to take to to happen. But also you have to understand that, you know, a lot of this is, like, rolling with the punches as well when movies have these plots and yeah, not everything went to maybe a plan they had in mind, but they still got to their goal in the end. But uh, it seems, I think it's an article from Polygon where they went through all the different endings and it it turns out ending A is the only plausible ending which makes sense, which is the one where it's Miss Scarlet and Yvette working together in order to sort of kill the different people because it... It's the only one which accounts for the different people being in different places and Miss Scarlet knowing about the secret passage, etc. Because Yvette, who works at the mansion, would have been able to tell her that. Scarlet and Yvette are the only ones who, like, in the different endings, have that prior connection that Yvette was in Scarlet's employ and so she was following Scarlet's orders. So it's the only one which apparently stats up in, in any sense. But I agree. The final ending is the one which is maybe the most enjoyable and rewarding, but taken all three together is is 
naturally the best way to enjoy it, even if that wasn't the intended cinema release version. I guess it also explains why maybe two thirds of the people who saw this film might have been disappointed then, because you're saying if Scarlet's being the killer, Scarlet and the vets being the villains was the only one which made sense. You got two thirds of the audience being like, okay, that actually doesn't connect whatsoever. (laughs) But hey, ho, like I said, I guess we are, you know, I'll be there for any big screen showing of clue and i'll hope they would show the three ending version so one thing we did because we knew there was a remake coming up we decided to fan cast our alternate cast for like a remake of clue um just for a bit of fun really um i've got mine here i decided that for mrs peacock i put in a modern retelling of what tilda swinton okay uh, because she makes everything better uh for mrs white i thought rosamund pike would be quite good sort of a mm-hmm. comedy version of her gone girl <laughs> version uh professor plum i went a bit younger i've got adam driver who's okay. uh being a bit creepy a creepier than usual maybe um because of the physicality i went for justice smith as mr green um so because i've just enjoyed him in so much of what i've seen him in uh, Colonel Mustard got David Harbour with his uh, dad bod, and uh, he can rock a moustache, can't he, in, in Stranger Things? Mm-hmm. He's got a moustache in that, I think. <laughs> so uh, for my Miss Scarlet, I decided to go for Margot Robbie as a, a redhead. And for Wadsworth, I thought I would love to see uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Wadsworth, because I think he's got the same manic eyes <laughs> as <laughs> as Tim Curry. Uh, who did you go for? Uh, I didn't cast a Wadsworth or a Butler, um, but I've got my core sits. So I've gone for, as Mr. Green, I've gone for, well, what what I should say is that I was trying to think of an ensemble that would play off each other quite well and also go for a largely British cast, sort of take back Cluedo <laughs> to, its, uh, to its origin. So it would be a, a British set version of of the film so i've gone for as mr green i've gone for dev patel because uh, i was thinking of sort of uh, the sort of energy and uh, having seen him in personal history of david copperfield recently like i think he sort of match what was done uh, here as well uh mrs white i've gone for florence Pugh. uh i'd like mm-hmm. to see her do kind of more comic stuff because i think she's quite amusing i think even in midsummer she could be kind of funny as well i don't know yeah <laughs> that's she, true she's just like a funny lady um colonel mustard i've gone for dan stevens um i mm-hmm. think he again has good sort of period comic chops um mrs peacock i've gone for julia davis who mm-hmm. i think can maybe have sort of comic stuff and also slight undercurrent of unsettling murderousness um professor plum i've opted for uh the one kiwi in the midst jermaine clement i just seeing him as a professor oh, he he rocks professor lock even when he's not trying yeah um and as miss scarlet i've gone for phoebe wallerbridge well, i mean phoebe wallerbridge in anything makes it a must see so we'll send our, our prospective casts to the makers of the new clue film and maybe we'll get a casting credit maybe that's how we get our casting union cards i don't know how hollywood <laughs> works 
<laughs> you just put your suggestions into the mailbox and lo and behold, a movie's made, right? A sealed envelope, not on the postcard. Cause you, don't, you, don't, you don't want the man at the post office to like, steal your ideas. No, exactly. And get into Hollywood casting. <laughs> the Hollywood Kingmaker starts in the, the Surbiton branch of Royal Mail. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, after all that, I think it's pretty clear that we very much vibe with this film still. When was the last time you'd watched it before this review? I think I'd, it, it had been a long time, but I had actually watched it sometime last year. Um, so it was a recent rewatch, but there'd been a big gap between that uh, rewatch and the last. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I still very much enjoy it. I I do love it. I can see why someone who had not watched it when they were younger might think less of it watching it new. I think there's definitely, I think people could appreciate the performances um and how all the cast are doing really well, but I could also sense there are some moments which are fairly flat. And I can also see why people expecting like laugh out comedy constantly, as much as there are so many different great guides peppered throughout, you know, there are portions of it where the mystery takes over, where the drama takes over and it's whether you find that compelling enough, if you're expecting just a laugh, riot the whole time there's like a bit more meat to it than you might expect but i can also see how yeah like some of it might be considered just a little a little flat a little drab and maybe just a bit one note because it is a lot of running around and screaming at each other for (laughs) a, a good portion of the film and then you know it's sort of half an hour before we end it it starts its three endings so i know i checked out the time code it was like wow it was like it's only been an hour. <laughs> yeah, so like a good portion of the film is just recapping everything that happened and then that happening again, you know, when they sort of uh, point their fingers at the different culprits depending on what ending you're getting. So, yeah, I, I, I can see why maybe it wasn't met with plaudits on initial release and I could see why maybe, you know, some people maybe watching it now for the first time may not be so warmed to it but you know i think it's it's a film which is like quite dear to me and it was really lovely to revisit it and yeah i could watch it again and again and get different stuff out of it each time and different guides land in a different way and you know spend a portion of time with comic actors at you know in many respects the peak of their powers and delivering amazing um amazing performances yeah i agree i can see if you didn't grow up with this film it might be a bit harder to enjoy but i think if you've got an interest in any of these performers in their other careers in their other roles i think you uh, would do yourself a favor by just giving this a go because because even with three ending it's still very brisk i think it's still under 90 minutes so Mm. i think it'd be good just to give it a go so I don't know if we knew who did it. It could have been you, me, or anyone. Um, but in the meantime, how can people keep in touch? What a terrible segue. How can people keep in touch with games on film? You can find more information about the podcast and video game movies, and maybe the odd board game movie now, on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. 
All episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, indeed, wherever you listen to podcasts. So please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. We're also on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on Facebook at Games on Film Pod. Please do follow us on those social media channels where you'll find all the latest news about video game movies coming soon, as well as episodes coming soon. We're also individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can also contact us via email. That's gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, to cut a long story short... Too late. (laughs) I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I am your singing telegram.